Hey y'all, this is Mo. I just want to thank you for choosing to listen to Parenting is Political. There are over 700,000 podcasts out and active right now, today. So the fact that you're listening to this one, I don't think it's a coincidence, and I appreciate you being here. If you'd like to show your support for Parenting is Political, you can go to our website and sign up as a paid subscriber. There are monthly giving options as well as one-time donation options. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they aren't free to make. So I would appreciate any support that y'all could give to help me continue to make Parenting is Political. I hope y'all enjoy the episode. Bye! Hey, everybody! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, or welcome for your first time to Parenting is Political. Hey, y'all. A podcast about parenting and stuff. This is Mo. And I'm Jasmine. And we are the hosts of this podcast. I mean, you mostly are, but... That's true. But you're, like, on most of the episodes, so credit. And you make some really good quotes. (laughs) Listen. Quotable. Yeah. We are currently sitting in our sitting room, which is one of my favorite rooms in our house. And we have had a series (sighs) of intense days, y'all. We have had quite the day today. You know, prior to that mental health kitchen table talk that we had, a lot of folks don't know um, what was really happening behind the scenes in my life, our life. And one of the things that were, uh, was like primary was my suicide attempt, which was failed. Mm, Yes. And you were the intervener. Mm -hmm. Mo was the intervener. And right after that, my community um, rallied around me and crowdfunded to get me some really critical care in the form of ketamine infusions, which has been really transformative. And today, I had my fourth one. Yes, you did. And I have two more until I'm done. And I don't think I've ever felt so steady and grounded and hopeful. And I'm tentative about it. Because yes. hope is such a difficult practice, but it is a practice. It is something that you have to cultivate. And still, even with the anxiety and fear, I am super hopeful. And yeah, we thought that what a better way to celebrate coming through so many storms and mm-hmm. so many attacks and psychological assaults, <laughs> both internal and external to us, uh, than to have a little chat about... All of it. Sort of like the culmination of mental illness with parenting stuffs as it relates to us. Yeah. So here we go. Here we go. I just, before we start though, I just wanted to be like, hey, I'm proud of you. That was a really hard, big, scary thing to do. And you've been taking really good care of yourself. And I just wanted to affirm you. Yeah. I mean, the world is not a gentle place and there have been many attempts to like sabotage and yeah, derail your and healing. derail my healing but I am really <laughs> you're I actually, really fucking resilient <laughs> so resilient but also like I actually feel like deep that's oh, Kevin. Kevin wow it's not our kid making noise it's our dogs which Kevin's kind of my kid though Kevin yeah. is a giant wiener dog for those who do not know and I am not exaggerating when I say he's giant yeah 
Anyway. Anyway, thank you for your gratitude and your mm-hmm. and the praise and being proud of me. It means so much. But today we were going to talk about reparenting. What is reparenting? That was the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> we yeah. had sat down to discuss what we wanted to talk about next, and you had said that we it'd be fun to talk about reparenting. And I think my first question was, mm. what is it? <laughs> yeah. But so- I want to talk about it. So reparenting has been so critical for me on my journey to healing and like piecing back uh, parts of my identity that were sort of stolen by this perpetual victimhood, whether it was self-made or created by other people. And the thing that keeps coming up for me whenever I listen to these old episodes that we've done or I see the comments on Instagram or I get... T- to witness, bear witness to the conversations of our listeners and all the incredible ways they're supporting each other. What I'm finding is sort of this um, consistent undertone or theme is that so many people, one, don't know what reparenting is, which is intentional, right? Like systems of harm intentionally keep us from um, generative like solutions because it's always behind some sort of gatekeeper. And in this case, it's psychology and therapy, right? Yes. They, they've created these theories through academia and clinicians have come to agreement. But these, these practices and habits have been in existence forever, right? Indigenous communities, cultural practices of reparenting have existed um, it was only, you know, this very European and, and then West, like Western um, approach that created a pedagogy around it and gave it, you know, terminology and practices and best practices. But reparenting is the thing that I've, I've watched people sort of say that they were doing without saying it and saying they were doing techniques and parts of it without knowing maybe that's what they were doing. And so I think it's useful for us to talk about it from like the clinical theoretical approach and then expand it into something that is more culturally appropriate and to give people the space to use it as a tool that they can transform for their own family ecosystem. Cool. Thanks for Does that. Make, yeah, that's, yeah, you're setting the stage for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's sort of the container. So that leads us to reparenting. What it is. So reparenting really comes from this theory in psychology that we all have a wounded inner child, or there are parts of our integrated selves or fractured self um, that carry traumatic wounds because of caregiver trauma. Some of the oldest theories actually, um, of course, center mothers. Mm-hmm. But we know that young people are wounded by all kinds of caregivers, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a father, whether it's a, a grandparent, whether whomever it is. Um, but basically, these are really like origin place traumas where the person who you had attached to um, or attempted to attach to couldn't meet your needs. And it could be because they had a mental illness themselves and they weren't present or they were working all the time because capitalism kept them from having the life that they deserved and that you deserved as a young person. Um, or they were taken because of war. There's all, like, the, the reason why doesn't matter. 
attachment wounds can happen. Now, of course, there's like deeper severity where not only were you harmed because of neglect or unintentional impact, but there was actual pathology happening. There was actual um, intentional purposeful violence. And that creates a whole different conversation that sort of like moves into personality and deeper mood disorders and things that folks struggle with for sure. But the starting place of this conversation, for the sake of the podcast and time, really is about those initial attachments. So essentially, you have the adult, you have the person that you are, you have your inner child, and then you have your parent. If you think of yourself as sort of like an egg, maybe? Mm -hmm. Question mark? Yeah. Well, and the best way to do this in in practice is a three-chair visualization, right? You stand in front of three chairs and you see yourself as an adult, you see yourself as a parent, and then you see yourself as the young child. And reparenting really starts with not just visualizing and understanding how those three separate identities or personas that you put on, those masks that you put on, how they function, but why they function that way. And then after you figure that part out, um, which is a lot of like brave self-exploration work, you engage in habits that are regular, very structured, and intentional to use the adult energy to inhabit the parent position in service of that younger self, that inner child. Now, okay. this, how confusing is that? So, so can I just repeat yeah, it back to you? Absolutely. For like clarity's sake. So you're telling me that reparenting means... You, in your current adult self, Mm -hmm. who is a parent or a caregiver... You're the container. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You enter into this state of being that you become the parent to your own inner child. Am I getting that? Your past inner child or your present inner child. Okay. Right? So, for me, that looks like adult Jasmine... Stepping, putting on the parent hat and talking to eight-year-old Jasmine Hmm. and saying, you are not the reason why your parents got divorced. Hmm. It doesn't matter what your father told you. That was his responsibility, not your responsibility. Because that's something he literally told me. Like, it was, you are the reason why. It had, you know, he had had an affair and he was domestic abuser and... Um, There was sexual assault. There was all kinds of things that my dad was doing. And because of his own um, unhealed places and trauma, he saw fit to assign responsibility to an eight-year-old. Well, part of our psyches in that psychosocial development phase that we're in, particularly under the age of 10, is to believe what our caregivers say um, and especially believe what they do toward us. And then to take care of our parents Right, because we, we ha- and you know, we talk about, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've on the podcast, but there's this sort of disassociation that's required to survive whenever you're in a relationship with someone who has more power than you and you need them to survive. You disassociate from any kind of reality where you can hold them accountable. And instead, you internalize it yourself, and 
and you do it as a coping mechanism to survive, right? And young people are the best at doing this. It is one of the most sophisticated ways to cope. Unfortunately, oftentimes whenever you have to engage in this coping mechanism, no one comes behind you after the initial injury and says, okay, you did a good job. Now let's talk about how that wasn't true. Now let's talk about what is true. And now let's give you the care that you deserve so you can feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so in my case, I never got that care. I never got that safety. And from eight years old onwards, there were other injuries that happened to me psychologically, emotionally, and socially that reinforced that myth that he implanted in me. That it was all your fault. That it was always all my fault. Hmm. Any kind of harm in any kind of situation was always all my fault. And so I engaged in this habit of overcorrecting and taking responsibility for everyone in the room. Mm. Like legitimately would walk into a meeting and if the meeting had 15 people in it and it all went to shit, I would walk away thinking, you did that somehow, Jasmine. You're so smart and so insidious um, that you imploded it. And one of the most difficult things of my life has been holding people accountable for the harm they did me, especially if I even did just one tiny thing wrong in the scenario, I would absolutely fold and still take full responsibility. And the way that this has made me vulnerable as a person is that I have found that I'm easily preyed upon by people who will not take responsibility for their own life and need someone to blame and create chaos and then have someone fix it. That's me. Like, I'm your gal. Come in. And then as a parent, the way it has showed up in my life is that... I will take more responsibility for the struggles and difficulties that my children have than I ought to do, mm-hmm. which is so many parents, the opposite of I their know. problem, right? They have to be more responsible. But my work has been to reparent that eight-year-old girl. And so regularly, I have to engage in these affirmations. And then regularly, whenever adult Jasmine behaves in a way that is affirming of the, the truth that young eight-year-old Jasmine should have learned, I reward myself. Hmm. Right? So it, it, it is like, you know what? You're going to take a bubble bath because you did a hard thing. You, it is not all your fault. You let that person know that they were wrong and you, and you, held, your, you held your ground. You took care of yourself. Good job. And then I reward myself. Yay. And... Through creating these practices of parenting yourself and talking yourself through those moments, you are able to sort of retroactively provide healing to the younger parts, the inner child parts that are wounded. Mm -hmm. And then as that healing happens, you integrate through those phases of life back into adulthood to the point where you don't don't have to parent less and less, right? Because children are so resilient. And even these ghost children that live inside of us... Um, these inner child specters, mm-hmm. they can be healed and they can be affirmed and loved and then they can be reabsorbed essentially and um, brought back together from the places that they were fractured previously. And so that's what I'm hearing people say in our, in our like in, on Instagram the other day, I read a parent say, My dad would never let me cry whenever I was hurt. Mm. And so now I cry and I also teach my child, I bet that did hurt. Yes, you absolutely cry, right? And so reparenting is not just what we're saying to ourselves individually, but it's also the kind of care and love that we're giving to our children 
in service of the love that we didn't have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's super critical to even be having this conversation because you, you know, it's really difficult to try and tackle these convoluted and nebulous conversations around the intersects of parenting and political identity without having done some of this work yourself. Because without having done some of this work, your inner child starts acting out. Right? Like you you run into your own baggage and your own you're you're triggered in, in ways and your woundedness comes up and then you act out and you don't you can't go, you can't build the life that you want, you can't go the places that you want to go. Because you have to stop and you have to, like, sit with that tantruming child and figure out what they need. And then you're able to, like, get back into that adult parent space and Mm -hmm. and move forward in service of yourself and the young people that you're trying to parent. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things I've realized most in becoming a parent is, like, parenting is so much more than just, like, (laughs) like making sure your kid eats and then, Mm -hmm. like, stays alive. It's it's like... Excuse me, what? (laughs) It's like there's so, 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 so much work that you have to put into your own self if you want to be able to be, like, present with your kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, to just bring it down from, like, my really confusing examples, <laughs> hopefully y'all could follow that, um, but it's as simple as saying how can you access the kind of energy and emotional resource to tell your kid that you're proud of yourself or you're proud of them when you don't feel proud of yourself right now and when you you never felt the feeling mm-hmm. of someone being proud of you? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And we can do it. We can go through the motions, and that's fine. And I'm not saying it's all inauthentic because a lot of us, you know, we, like, bounce back and we don't understand the impact. But what was so just gave me pause was the the graphic that I had made around what was the last nice thing that you said about your body mm-hmm. and then you'd reposted it. It's had over a hundred thousand shares. Yeah. And people and are lots like lots of people are like, oh my oh, gosh. snap. Yeah. No never. And that's a part of you my reparenting practice and yours is mm-hmm. that out loud we affirm our bodies. Oh and, yeah. And we affirm our bodies in our hearts and minds of like every iteration of young child that we were. Yeah. Because from the youngest that you can remember up until adulthood, you were fat shamed mm-hmm. and you're, you know, like bo- the, the conversations around body was so traumatic and violent that that inner child has like fractured places around it. Yeah. And I was forced into this female narrative that I never wanted to be a part of. <laughs> you were like, I would like to be excluded from this narrative. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hello, <laughs> um, can I take it back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, not only was I fat shamed because I was like bigger than my peers I was also like lots of body dysphoria around having to perform this female gender um but yeah like I think this example so as you're talking I'm thinking through like our week and whatever and I think that I did this not knowing so I think that's what you're talking about at the Mm -hmm. very beginning so a lot of my stuff that I've been working through is trying to understand the ways in which um you know, as, as a child or an adolescent or whatever, the, the patterns and behaviors that my parents displayed and how that's affected me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we actually talked about on a previous episode was that, um, it really 
one of the things that really stuck with me from childhood is that my mom would be having an emotional experience and she would like strut through the house and everybody was expected to just like go along with her mood, but she never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to like tend to her and take care of her. And you know, remember when I was talking about that? Mm-hmm. So anyway, this past week I had gotten really frustrated with one of our kids because she keeps lying to us and directly to our faces. And it's become like this really uh, complex issue that I was just really, really frustrated with. And I, I'm also someone who is trying to express my frustration more because mm-hmm. I was never allowed to express anger growing up. And so a part of my reparenting now is being like, Mo, you are experiencing anger. It is a valid emotion and you are allowed to express it. And so I have I would stated very clearly, look, kid, I'm super frustrated with your behavior. I need some space to think about this. And so... <laughs> I started, like, cleaning the kitchen Mm -hmm. because that's how I, like, decompress with my stress. And Addison, Mm -hmm. our daughter, comes in, and I'm not talking. I'm silent, and I'm, like, focused, and I've got my, like, angry energy going. Addison comes in, and she starts following me around like this lost little puppy all throughout the house. I remember this, yeah. And she was just so concerned and kept trying to make small talk with me and kept being like, Mama, are you okay? Just kept checking in. And I finally realized what was happening. And I pulled her aside and I looked, I got down and I looked her in the eyes and I said, Addison, I am frustrated right now and I'm allowed to have my experience of frustration and I don't need you to take care of me. You need to trust that I will take care of myself and that I'm allowed to have this experience and you're not responsible for it. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And was able to do what you said of, like, going behind your kid who has experienced some sort of attachment, a, a break in attachment, or some sort of form of abuse in their life. And the person that gets to go behind them that we never had and say, this wasn't your fault. You don't have to do this. Here's a new way. It was not only was I, like, reparenting myself in the moment, yes. but then I got to pass it on to my kid and be like, look, like, you're free from this. You don't have to do this. Yeah. Like, your parent is allowed to feel frustrated and express that, and it doesn't have to... I don't want you to ever think that it's your fault. Like, yeah. you know, does that make sense? No, totally, and the... Or am I, like, way off base? No, no, you're okay. right. <laughs> and the thing that... The reason why that you were able to be mindful mm-hmm. and to step into, like, your power and differentiation to say, I don't need you to fix this for me, Addison, instead of letting her attend to you... Yeah was because you were aware of your wounded child mm-hmm. that you had on the inside and that you had done the work to protect that wounded child, to nurture that wounded child, to love that wounded child. So you didn't need anyone external to you. Mm-mm. And a lot of times that's what we do as parents is we we recognize in some way because we understand that we're triggered sometimes. We're understanding that like, oh, ouch, something like really hurts me emotionally and I don't know what's happening at work that's like really sticking to me. Like it's really sticky. It's really shame laden. And that's just, that's as far as we go. But when we go deeper and we evaluate those things, we realize like, oh, this is like a really big deal. Yeah. But if we leave that wounded child uncared for, what we sometimes end up doing is expecting our kids to heal those parts of ourselves by performing certain things, by showing up in certain ways. And then whenever they don't, we resent them. Yeah. Because they couldn't give us what we need. Because it's not the adult version of you or the parent version you resenting them. It's the wounded inner child acting out and resenting you. Yeah. 
And it happens on such a subconscious level, so many of us do not even realize that it's happening. Yeah. And then we, you know, wake up in our 50s or 60s and we've got a 20-something kid, if you had kids the way we did. <laughs> um, you, you know, you have a 20-something kid who's like, you know what? I had to parent you. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And it wasn't okay. And I wasn't able to be a parent, I mean, a kid myself. Because I was busy, worried about how you were dealing with your fear or you were dealing with X, Y, and Z, right? And so we do really have this um, ability to, like, own our own woundedness and give ourselves the love and the nurturing and, most importantly, the protection that we didn't get mm-hmm. so that we're not overreacting mm. to triggers or we're not underreacting to triggers, which is usually a sign, right, that something is amiss here is that we have an overreaction or it's very knee-jerk and it's usually pretty reactive and and caustic. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of the the situation around reparenting-ish. What other questions (laughs) do you have? Um, Goodness, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good question. I think... um, you know, we defined what reparenting is. We gave a few examples. Um, are there any more examples that you would like to give of what reparenting can look like? Or is there any... Do we want to set, like, a practice for our listeners and say, like, is this something that you can try to practice this week? Yeah, I mean, the thing that is really important is that if you're angry that you didn't get the parent that you deserved... Or even if you're just in denial about your angry anger, if mm-hmm. you're hurt, like it's okay. They can your parents can be our parents, we as parents, we can be deeply good people and still be harmful. And once that harm is named and patterned, um, and becomes abuse, we can even still be very good. Mm-hmm. It can be both and. But what's underscores this for me is what bell hooks taught us that love and abuse can't coexist Mm -mm. they just can't and so many of us are caring for ourselves and our children and the people in our lives we care deeply for them we provide for them mostly we go through the motions but love the like deep spiritual commitment to transformation in service of ourselves and others is something else Mm. and and that something else absolutely cannot coexist with abuse. Yeah. Um, Not in a consistent way. And so part of so much of many of us, like the work that we have is, is like coming to terms with the anger Mm -hmm. and the ways in which we didn't have the attachments we needed with our caregivers. We didn't get the resources that we needed from them. We didn't just, we just didn't get the, like the love and the unconditional positive regard. And then once we allow ourselves the space to be angry, then it's like that that's time to like do our work. Yeah. We can't I mean, you can spend the rest of your life being in reaction to the woundedness that you have or you know, you can gosh, I, I hate to be like paternalistic and like, oh, you free yourself. But in but in a way, yeah, like it's a self-made prison once you're aware of it. Yeah. It is. Well, and it just goes back to what you're saying about the bell hooks thing, like, and that applies to yourself. Like, you can't love yourself if you're ab- abusing yourself. 
And the form of that would be to like know that these things are going on, see the pattern. It's already been named uh-huh. and not do the work to make that transformation so that you can better love yourself and by proxy, better love those who are in community with you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a point that we all reach in our life where we're responsible for our own caretaking. Yeah. And that might mean giving some retroactive caretaking to the places that didn't get what it needed. Like, mm-hmm. go back and you can't rewrite your history, but you can address the stuff. Yeah. You can make it clear and provide, like, clarity and an opportunity to be, um, like, reintegrated. Like, coming back home to yourself is a phrase that I think of often. Mm. Yeah. I like that. And so reparenting really is the process of taking charge of your own caretaking. Yeah. And not looking for it, not looking for the wounded child to be fixed in the next career or the next partner or the next adventure or the next task or the next substance, whatever we're all searching for around attachment and connection and belonging. I honestly think that so much of it is about belonging to self in service of community, belonging to community and and like community care and collective existence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you could spend the rest of your life being resentful about the fact that you didn't get what you needed as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can like take care of it yourself. <laughs> it sucks. It shouldn't have to be that way. Like, ideally, we wouldn't have to be fixing these wounds ourselves. But also, if yeah. we aren't, no one else is. I mean, they don't know that. They don't know those wounds, those places that are your inner child wounds. Like those are things that you know. And if you don't know, becoming in tune with yourself so that you do know, so that that healing can take place. Yeah, and I think too that. This is crucial work because it takes the inner child who was wounded, the wounded child, out of competition with the current young people that mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because, if, because if we're trying, I mean, I believe that there's enough for all of us to go around, right? There's enough love. It's not um, a limited resource, but you are a limited resource, Right? You can only do so much. You can only do so much. Yeah. And if your inner child, which is a powerful, powerful sort of force, is not being tended to, it will find a way to get the attention. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? And so, so yeah. So, to be a bit more concrete with it, one of the, some of the ways that I reparent myself as examples um, is that I intentionally don't discredit my own feelings these days. Um, there used to be a place where not only was I not reparenting myself, but I was stepping into the shoes of my abusers mm-hmm. and I would discredit myself before. Like, yeah, <laughs> you jumped the gun on them or yeah, what? <laughs> totally. Um, other ways that I took the place of, and stepped in the shoes of my abusive parents and, and the other people who followed, um, was I would shame myself for what I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go back on my boundaries and continually, continuously renegotiate my boundaries, right? So in the absence of a parent to give me the abuse and harm that I was habituated to, that I was used to, I became the abuser. Yeah. 
right? And if that's, that's true for so many of yeah. us, right? Like when we don't have someone verbally abusing us, physically abusing us, or like, you know, neglecting us. And those are pretty extreme examples. And unfortunately, the majority of us have had yeah. experiences like this. In the absence of those people, so many of us were like, oh, did you? is there an opening here? I'll fill that job. And we took over. <laughs> yeah. So if we can take over being the ones who self-harm in that way and continue those old myths and patterns, putting ourselves last and terrorizing ourselves for, you know, potential disasters or mistakes that we've made, right? Mm-hmm. Then we can also be the people who step into the place of healing and give the good love that we should have always had. Yeah. But so much about that habit, that practice in the context of this like very white cisgender heteropatriarchal capitalist construct says that if we do that, we're, we are um, selfish. Mm. We're self-absorbed, we're lazy, we're bitches, we're cold-hearted, we're calloused, we are unflexible. Like, right, there's all kinds of, like, things that are attached to that. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. No, you're right. There's a multitude of consequences for somebody who is trending towards health and sets hard, firm boundaries for themselves. And those around us oftentimes... uh, will throw major fits about it. Um, and it can be a d- really difficult process, and folks um, might find out the truth about certain relationships in yeah, their life through that yeah. process. I, had, I did have another question. Um, Go for it. Regarding reparenting, is can you reparent yourself around like your sexuality and your gender identity? Yes! Yes! So this is so good. It's a resiliency practice, right? So if you... We're taught all kinds of things, whether it was overtly or, or not overtly, but if it was like explicit or implicit, no matter how the dissemination of the information was, you internalize messages yeah, and you internalize them about yourself, right? Like I dated this person who absolutely hated queer people mm-hmm. um, and I watched this person as they were coming into understanding of their queerness they had an opportunity where they could pathologize and continue to hate queer people. Like, it was an intersection, right? Mm -hmm. That was one road they could choose. Or is it a diverse... No, yes, it was definitely an intersection is what I'm talking about. Yes, that's when two roads cross. Or a fork in the road. I don't know. I don't know. Listeners, help me. (laughs) Um, Anyway, they had, like, a critical moment to make a choice. One was they could continue and double down, which meant, like, their own self-loathing of, like what would a queer future really look like? Or they could um, choose to embrace those parts of themselves and and truly, like, experience joy in accepting someone else's queer love and, and that helped them accept themselves as queer, right? Yeah. And they couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. They couldn't tolerate it so much that they became, like, really abusive and reactive as a way of, like, punishing that person that was an object, just a representation. So we have the opposite, right? We Mm -hmm. have the ability to, instead of forcing ourselves into this place where we're at these intersections where we have to make these hard choices and we often make the wrong choice because we're just so afraid, what we actually can do, and, and to be clear... Sean was an incredible ex. Shout out to Sean. I love you. I know you're still emailing me every month. 
I know you probably listen to this podcast. I adore you, and I'm sorry it couldn't work between us. Oh, my God. Um, okay, I digress. Anyway, so what that person or any of us could have done in this instance is create containers of intentional love, nurturing, and protection. Mm-hmm. So protection looks like anytime someone, including yourself, says something derogatory or has like a derogatory reaction that's rooted in transphobia, homophobia, queerphobia, you immediately say, no, queer people are good. I am a queer person. I am good. Mm-hmm. I mm. am creative. I am lovable. I am attractive. I Right? So that's the thing that you do around protection. You also protect yourself by filtering out homophobic media, homophobic yeah. messaging, queerphobic messaging by, right? Like you go through the list and you really create this like safe bubble of healing and container. The love is around like joy and celebration. Mm-hmm. You start to create an intentional practice of assigning things as queer or like whatever thing that you're practicing and assigning it as a thing that it makes it like beautiful and joyful and playful. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, this love that I have is queer as fuck or like, oh my God. Queer people are the funniest people I know, right? <laughs> like, you spend a weekend watching queer comedians doing stand-up, and you assign the reason why they're funny because they're queer. Yeah. And all you're doing is, like, reprogramming. All you're doing is all that re- toxic shit. rewriting that. Yeah. And then the nurturing. So it's protect, it's love, and then the last part of that reprinting practices is around nurturance. And it's where, like, you actually get to this very tender, intimate place where... Like, almost like how you would, like, cuddle and hold a baby mm-hmm. or a puppy or something that you feel is fragile. And, and, it's, and it's really around, like, oh, I, like, this isn't for everyone. This queerness is, like, so tender that I want to hold it close and I want to take care of it. And that can look like all kinds of different yeah. things around being gentle with yourself. Um, and it can easily be like, oh, I made a mistake today, but you know what? Like lots of incredible queer people make mistakes and I'm going to forgive myself today. That's where nurturance comes in, but it's always really important about being intentional about feeding that queer identity back in. Yeah. I've had to do it with like reparenting and reprogramming myself, um, around anti-blackness. Yeah. I was about to say, this sounds like it really leads into, like, internalized anti-blackness for black folks and internalized, like, transphobia for trans folks. Like, yeah. when you have that that early, um, like, onslaught of these, all this messaging, all this messaging, yes. you start to, mm-hmm. like, really start to think that those things are true, and you can become a part of, like, the harm that is recapitulated into society by not taking the time to really reparent yourself around those identities. Is it, yeah, no, I, no, absolutely. Okay, yeah. And it's, it's crucial during that phase. If you're going to choose to like create a, a like a time mm-hmm. for you to reparent yourself, that you're intentional, that the feedback that you're getting from people aren't people are from people who have actually done their own yeah. work around dealing with whatever they're confronting, mm-hmm. whatever you're confronting, right? Like, I couldn't whenever I was addressing my issues with anti-blackness. And, of course, this is a lifetime process. It never mm-hmm. just yeah, ends. Never ends. But when you're starting the bulk of this work in particular um, and sit, setting, setting a foundation for you to do for the rest of your life, I when I was trying to address my anti-blackness, I couldn't talk to my friends who were black people who were like still fully drinking the respectability politics Kool-Aid. Yeah. 
Because every time, they have a vested interest in me continuing to be anti-black. So you're saying that as a queer person, you can't be going to other queer folks who are performing heteronormativity. Absolutely not. And be like, hey, I need some feedback on this queer shit. Yeah, I, I think I think you have I think you have to like there's like there's bias. Yeah. And that implicit bias becomes a part of social programming and it doesn't matter how well intended we are, we are invested in people not shaking up our paradigm too much before we're ready. Mhm. And and your friends can say they love you and they want to give you support. But if you have friends who are giving you feedback about the things in your life, the most critical relationships in your life, the most critical parts of who you are, and they still have um, a vested interest in those oppressive habits mm-hmm. and those systems of domination, they're, they're absolutely going to make sure that you stay a part of that with them. Yeah. Like it just... And it's not intentional, right? Like, they're not intentionally trying to visit violence upon you. And it's still... It still is. It still is. It's still happening. They're still doing it. Yeah, yeah. And so, some of this work is, like, speculative, right? Mm-hmm. It's imagination work. It's about being um, grounded in this science fiction because it just doesn't exist in certain places in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so we're we are writing it while we're trying to live the story out. Yeah. It's so but true. it's not impossible. And it's so worth it. And what it yields for generations after us for having felt the pain is that it stops traveling past us. Yeah. You you break the cycle. Yeah. Totally. Mm. I think we'll stop there. Did I even say anything worth listening to? Oh my god, yeah. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I felt like I was the one who didn't say anything. I was like, I'm just going to sit here and listen. (laughs) Oh god, I think that actually is what happened. Yeah. Um, No, I think we're going to stop there. I think that's a good stopping spot. Um, There's lots of things to reflect on in this episode. So I want to offer that once... This episode goes live. Mm-hmm. We will do an Ask Jasmine Anything on Instagram story where you can ask around reparenting techniques and habits. You can ask for clarifications. And um, yeah, I will offer that to folks. So be on the lookout. Yeah, I'll definitely make everyone aware that that will be happening and at what times during the day it will be happening so that you can be aware. Totally. Yeah. Hey, I'm not dead. Yeah, you're still here. Oh, so glad, so thankful. Mm. I like you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Is that, is that it? <laughs> is that how we're ending it? Bye. Bye.